Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. That would be Representative John Bell, who uh, uh, is in his fifth term serving the citizens of House District Number 10, which includes a very interesting group of counties, Greene, Johnson, and Wayne counties, uh, just to the east of Raleigh. That would be Goldsboro and, uh, uh, and uh, Smithville and Clayton in that area. But, uh, Representative Bell, uh, we are thankful that uh, you can take time to tell us what's going on in the General Assembly. You're back to work and already have passed some legislation. So let's talk about what you've already done. Absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Curtis, for having me on. It's always a pleasure to, to, to join you in your show. And we've had a wonderful conversation in the past and look forward to informing the general public of uh, what's going on in the General Assembly. We are back to work. Well, I went back to work at the end of I believe it started January 25th. Uh, we come in uh, constitutionally statute obligated to come in on, on the second Wednesday in January to be sworn in. And we did that this year and it was great. Uh, this is actually the first year uh, in, in three years that we've had friends and family in the gallery and everything was packed. Um, you know, we haven't been doing that because of the pandemic. So it was great to see all the uh, family and friends and uh, constituents from all over the state were joining us, and uh, it was a day full of festivities. And then we came, and then we adjourned and uh, put committees in place and office assignments and all the administrative issues we had to deal with. And then on January the twenty fifth, we were back to work, and hopefully, we'll be done by the uh, July fourth holiday. Well, there are a number of things that we want to talk about. One, one, I guess, would be Medicaid expansion because that's been a topic for the last several years, and uh, it's one that uh, uh, the opinions and thoughts have changed on over the last uh, uh, eight to ten years. It, it has. Uh, you know, I would tell you that I was a pretty hard no um, back in uh, 13, 14 when, when the first conversation started, and, and as this evolved, uh, we felt like that in order for us to 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 even have a conversation on Medicaid expansion, we really need to go in and do Medicaid, what we call Medicaid transformation. We needed to 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 get rid of the really crack down on the fraud, waste, and abuse within our Medicaid system. Look at ways to expedite care. Look at ways to get people out of the emergency room um, and and show them that there's uh, less. Exp- Expensive places to be uh, for for colds and, and minor issues in our, our local emergency rooms at our hospitals, and so um, we, we launched Medicaid transformation a few years back. That has evolved and ha- has has done very well with the state. And so last year, the conversation started on what Medicaid expansion could look like in North Carolina. And the Senate put forth a proposal that uh, we called Medicaid Plus. It had the Medicaid expansion plus other issues, uh, certificate of need and uh, an issue called the SAVE Act that dealt with scope of practice issues by nurse practitioners. And we just felt like that was a, a too far reach. Uh, the House put forth their version of what Medicaid expansion could look that look like. And um, we just couldn't come to agreement. And so we went back to work when we came back in this session and we uh, passed a, a what we call a clean Medicaid expansion bill, uh, took a vote on Wednesday that passed overwhelmingly bipartisan support. And then the, the, the third vote and final vote uh, was sent to the Senate on Thursday. So uh, it was a, a busy week, a busy time, and, and happy to talk further about that. Well, that's a that's a major accomplishment because that's something that has been on 
the docket now for several years. And as you said, it's been very interesting to watch it because the objections that uh, uh, were causing the members of the General Assembly to, to decide against it have sort of one by one sort of disappeared or changed. And uh, it seems like now everyone feels pretty comfortable with it. It has, and I'll just tell you um, my concerns with it. And I've had some really good conversations with our our health chairs on the House side, and also have developed a really good relationship with uh, Cody Kinsley, who is the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And uh, we've had numerous meetings, numerous conversations. And as this evolved, it started off. You know, the talking points a few years ago was it was about six hundred thousand people in our state that would be allowed on those rolls if Medicaid was expanded. I wanted to actually solve issues. And so when you look at the area I serve, rural North Carolina, we have a shortage of providers. Um, we have a shortage of nurses. Uh, we have, um, frankly, access to care issues. And so how can we take this opportunity on the Medicaid side to address those issues? And so uh, we had members of our caucus that were worried about fraud, waste, and abuse. They were worried about what happens if the federal government uh, decided not to pay the 90% and the state's went to 10%? Um, what would happen if our counties got overwhelmed with additional Medicaid patients? And so these were conversations and, and, and issues we had to work through. And, and now, as we came into this year, with the, um, with, with the uh, Inflation Induction Act and the, the ARP funds that came down, uh, the Medicaid rules were expanded. So we were really looking, you know, I, I would say somewhere around 150, maybe 200 tops. By more, I think it's more around 150,000 people would be added to the Medicaid rolls. And there's a misconception out there that these are are people that just flat out don't work and are drains on, on on the system. And that's actually not true. These are hardworking North Carolinians that are 10 to 15 hour uh, an hour um, week employees that are working day in and day out that frankly can't pay the $2,400 to $3,000 for a family for healthcare coverage. And what what the bill that we put forward would do would allow those hardworking families to be able to have some type of healthcare coverage that, that would allow them to be able to, to go to a, a provider, that allow them to be able to go seen by a local physician, a family, uh, family physician, instead of not ending up in our emergency rooms, which is uh, in my area, I believe UNC Wayne is one of the busiest emergency rooms in the UNC system. Another portion of the bill that we passed, and it, it was to alleviate some concerns from my colleagues and others, is, is you know, how do we address the provider shortage? So we ran an amendment yesterday that would have taken, I guess it was, I think it was somewhere around $40 million to set aside for tuition reimbursement for folks that wanted to go into to nursing school, who wanted to go to, to be a physician, and would actually do tuition reimbursement for um, for for their for college if they would come back to North Carolina and serve in an underserved area for 10 years. That was extremely popular and got unanimous support in, in the chamber. And, and when we broke that down, uh, it, it, it would add around 200, a little more than 200 new providers here in the state that actually solves a problem. The other issue we put forward would be um, in an amendment would be if we, uh, if counties were overwhelmed and didn't have the staff to, uh, to handle the administrative burden that some of the Medicaid expansion will cost. So we so we set funding aside to allow counties to tap into a grant program to 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 address that. The other portion of this is if you have someone that's already on Medicaid, let's say they they get arrested and are in our jails, uh, or if they have a medical emergency in our jails, our our county taxpayers are responsible for paying those 
um, medical bills. Another portion of this would actually go to our counties and allow our counties to recoup that cost to where right now they're not recouping. So these are all, all issues that address issues that we're seeing, frankly, in everyday life in, in our counties. And that's why you saw the tremendous vote count and got more people comfortable with uh, how we're moving forward on this expansion. Well, it seems like you solved a lot of problems with the, uh, with uh, not only the, the expansion, but also the amendments to it and, and uh, it well, we still like, have a ways to go. Uh, <laughs> it, it just passed the House, and and, and the Senate's an interesting monster. And we'll work with our healthcare uh, chairs on the Senate side, and then hopefully, uh, you know, get it to the governor's desk sometime this session. But the, the fact the House took a step forward, in, to, in my opinion, to put a a, a very reasonable um, expansion bill forward uh, is is it was a lot of hard work by a lot of people. I want to thank. Uh, Representative Donnie Lambeth and the health chairs for their hard work to getting this bill accomplished this week. Well, the other thing you pointed out was it was passed with bipartisan support, which is always good. Yeah, I believe out of the 120 members uh, on the initial vote, uh, 96 voted for it. So that's a pretty strong vote count and a pretty good indication that the overwhelming majority of people that represent the state um, were, were supportive. Well, you know, for the last 10 years, we've seen uh, it seems a little bit more like more and more partisanship. Do you see that uh, beginning to join a little bit and, and uh, seem uh, like a little bit more of the cooperation between the members of the two parties? Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. The, the minority leader, uh, Representative Robert Reed, the Democrat leader, and, and I are, are actually pretty good friends. And we have good conversations, even though we may not agree on issues. We're able to have those conversations and, and just agree to disagree and move on. But as we came into session this year, it just felt like the temperature of the House has, has, has gone down a little bit. You don't have that um, partisan attacks going on. So far, our debates on controversial issues have been very cordial, have been fact-based, not, not personality-driven, not personal attacks. And uh, it's my hope that we'll be able to continue that as we move through session. Well, as you said, there's, you know, this is the form of government we've got. Uh, discussion of issues is always good. And, uh, uh, but when it gets personal, it's when the problems begin to arise. And uh, as you said, it uh, seems like for the last 10 years, especially on the, on the national level, we've seen a rise of the uh, personalities getting involved and, and making and, and, and conflicting with the discussion of the real issues. And it's issues that are important. Issues are important, and I, I will tell you, when you look around the faces of the General Assembly, um, we have a lot of new faces, a lot of new ideas, a lot of new experiences. And so, so some of those old grudges from session to session, those folks have retired and, and decided to do other things, and you've got new and fresh ideas come in, people really wanting to make a difference. And, and I firmly believe that of the 120 members of the House, even though we, we have different ways to get there, we truly want what's best for the state. That's why we ran for office. We want to be um, in, in a position to advocate for our districts, advocate for our counties, but we truly want what's best for the state. And it's my hope that as we move through session, um, we'll have issues that divide chambers. We'll have issues that divide on party lines. And we'll have issues that will divide each other's caucuses. And so, but it's my hope that we'll be able to navigate through that and actually be able to agree to disagree and, uh, and work in good faith moving forward. So, so I'm excited about the session and the way it's, it's, it's gone so far. Uh, speaking of new members, how many uh, first-term members do you have? I may be asking you a question that uh, 
you might not have at the top of your head. But well, many- I, I know that at the, uh, on 71 Republicans, I think we have around 14 or 15 brand new members. And then we have another um, probably three to four that were um, that were appointed during during toward the end of last session. And, uh, and then we have um, one or yeah, I believe one that has come that, you know, lost election was out and then came back. And I, on the Democrat side, I'd have to go back and look. But I would tell you, I was actually looking at the board when uh, we were doing the vote, when we were doing the votes for the Medicaid expansion bill this week. And I looked up and I was like, I don't know these names. And so so I was trying to look at the seating chart and trying to put um, faces with names. But there's a lot of new faces in the building. And as you said, this is uh, that's not necessarily bad. It brings in new ideas, fresh ideas and fresh personalities. It does, and uh, you know that's why our, our state's a growing state. This is, uh, you know, we're we're um, constantly a, a destination where people want to be, and so so new ideas are welcome. Our guest is Representative John Bell. He's the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. He's in his fifth term, and uh, we have lots of issues we want to talk about. We've just finished talking about the Medicaid expansion situation, and we will turn to. Items like sports betting and the inflation and and recession concerns and so forth. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Representative John Bell, the House Majority Leader of the North Carolina House of Representatives. Representative uh, Bell, you you come from a kind of a very interesting district, and I was just looking at those three counties. Johnson County, which is experiencing great growth percentage-wise, is growing fast. In fact, at one time, I think it was the fastest-growing county in the state percentage-wise. Wayne County, which is an interesting county because it's growing, but it's also a great military town. And then Greene County, which is uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum. So you see a little bit of all three of the elements of North Carolina politics. I, I do. And, and actually, um, Mr. Curtis, the, the district has, has actually changed um, going into January. So, I, so I, I'm actually just now representing Wayne County. But 
I, you know, I, I've been blessed over my tenure uh, to, I represented on uh, Johnston, Wayne, Green, Lenore, and Craven. So I've had a really big segment of, of uh, Eastern North Carolina. Uh, Johnston County is the fastest growing state, uh, fastest growing county in the state. I believe Representative Donna White, who's up in that northern part of Johnson County, is 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 kind of incredible, averaging somewhere around eighty four new residents a day, and so it's a uh, tremendous growth. Uh, you look at um, Green County has had its struggles, but it is the leader in uh, in, the, in the sweet potato industry. Even though it doesn't have a tremendous population, is is uh, great things are happening in Green County. Uh, a couple new businesses, even some in the last few weeks, have have showed up in, in uh, Greene County and are hiring people and, and doing good things. And, and then Wayne County, uh, you, you know, is, is is frankly a tale of two counties. You've got uh, growth in the western and the northern part of the county. And and, uh, and then you look in the southern part of the county where, where I grew up and where I'm from, Mount Olive, is, has struggled to achieve growth. But we've got an outstanding university, University of Mount Olive, who has a premier uh, ag program. Dr. Sandy Maddox has done an outstanding job leading that, and uh, and that is a growing program. And of course, we're the home of on um, the famous Mount Olive pickles. Uh, everybody loves Mount Olive pickles, and if you, if you don't like them, go to the grocery store and buy a jar anyway. That's kind of the way I grew up. Wherever I I live, we always had a jar of Mount Olive pickles in the refrigerator. And and then of course we're the home of um the greatest fighter wing on planet Earth. Uh, the fourth fighter wing, which is based there at Seymour Johnson. So we're really proud of, of our heritage. We're really proud of the business industry that have, uh, that have grown here in, in, in our district. And uh, those are the people we advocate for every day while we're in Raleigh. Well, Goldsboro, of course, as you said, has uh, the uh, great presence in the military, but we have uh, several other counties that are very dependent on the military, Cumberland County with, with uh, the major base there, which is undergoing a name change. And also, of course, uh, uh, the folks in Onslow County. So the military is very important to North Carolina. So how does the uh, General Assembly and uh, work with this very important part of our economy? Well, I haven't seen the latest statistic, but uh, I believe it was somewhere around 80 of our 100 counties had some type of military activity or footprint in it. So when you look at all of our, our 100 counties to have over 80, to have some type of operation with our military going in, it shows the impact that our, our military has. Uh, if you look at our state's economy, agriculture is by far and away the largest economic impact we have. And the number two would be our military. When you talk about uh, Fort Bragg, when you talk about Camp Lejeune, when you talk about Cherry Point, you talk about Seymour Johnson, uh, you, those are the entities that people see day in and day out, but they're some of the largest military installations uh, in, in the country. When you go out into northeastern North Carolina, uh, you have what's called the Dare County Bombing Range, which is a training facility for most aviation aircraft all across the, the military footprint. So, so you can see uh, naval aircraft, Air Force aircraft, Army Army aircraft uh, training in that area and training jointly. And so when we look at policies uh, here in the state, we want to make sure that we're the most military-friendly state in the country. And we have seen a lot of those policies uh, come come to law and come to fruition over the last couple of years. Uh, a, a big move for us happened, I believe, two years ago is when we uh, exempted the, the military retirement to encourage retired personnel uh, to stay in our state after their years of service and their retirement, their state retirement, uh, their military retirement will be exempt on the state side. And so that was a big boom. 
Also, it's, it's, it goes into part of our uh, tax package that we've been lowering taxes over the last uh, couple of years. We've also passed uh, numerous, law, numerous laws to protect our military installations and surrounding communities. I look at one of the bills that helped make me, um, well, actually, actually put me into the forefront of running legislation. In 2013, I ran a bill that was uh, established a military, uh, excuse me, a wind permitting process for the state of North Carolina. People say, well, why is that important? Well, when you have uh, F-15s and F-35s that are training and they have to drop down to 500 feet low level flying route for the training and we have companies that want to stick 500 foot wind turbines up in that area, uh, those don't work very well together. And we've seen other states like Oklahoma have actually lost military operations uh, to those type of industries that have moved in. And what we wanted to make sure here in North Carolina is, is that if a wind industry wanted to come in, um, we, we we welcome the business and industry, but we want to make sure that our low level flying routes, our military training routes and radar routes are all protected. And so that, that bill did that one. And you've also seen um, bills come in to protect our military buffer zones. Um, we, we reformed the North Carolina Military Affairs Committee. So now we have representation, not just from the commanders across the state, but also uh, community activists that are uh, pro-military that work hand in hand with state government to make sure that laws and rules and regulations are implemented, not only are military friendly, but also protect the investment that have been made. And, uh, and then you, you swing over to, uh, to the Centennial Campus at NC State and the work they're doing on research and development is pretty incredible when it comes to the projects they're working on that um, better equip our military and also keep them safe. So we should be proud of our military heritage here in North Carolina. And uh, I'm proud to, to travel around the country and say that we're the most military friendly state in the country. Well, you alluded to this already, but let's talk a little bit about the uh, accommodating the, the two problems we have in North Carolina, because we've had about 25, maybe 28 counties that are growing just really rapidly. And then we've got the other 72 counties. So you've got a divide in economic development, which is very challenging to you folks in the General Assembly, because, you know, you, you just can't make people go places. You have to make it uh, to their advantage to relocate, but that's a difficult task, far more difficult than perhaps it might seem. It, it, it is, and uh, when you look at, at North Carolina, um, we, we've got areas, like you mentioned, Mr. Curtis, you've got uh, Wake County, which is booming, you know, you got the Research Triangle Park area that's, that's, that's really grown by leaps and bounds, Mecklenburg County, uh, other areas. And so at the General Assembly, we, we structured our, um, uh, tax incentive package to, to favor rural areas. So that way business and industry would be encouraged to move into those areas. But we took it a step further. And during the uh, pandemic, you had the uh, American Rescue Plan. Uh, you had federal funds that came into our state. And we looked at that and said, look, instead of spending it on frivolous items, let's really make a massive investment and water and sewer infrastructure and also broadband connectivity. Uh, a lot of our small towns have, um, frankly, declapsing and failing systems. And, you know, it, it's, it's nothing sexy. It doesn't make the front page of the news media or, or, or the radio, the radio conversations. But when, when, when you go into an area, you expect the water to, the, the, the flow when the spigots are turned on and the toilet to flush when you use the bathrooms. And so does business and industry. And so we put a tremendous amount of funding into working on our water and sewer infrastructure, especially in these rural areas. Uh, and so that's been a big boost 
for economic development opportunities for those areas to get their water and sewer systems up to date. Some of these systems actually weren't even updated. They've just been patchwork uh, since they were installation in the 1940s and 50s. So, so we were excited about that opportunity and we continue to invest in, in that today. Uh, we've also, with the transition to work at home, with uh, a lot of people on computers, just like we're having a conversation now, I'm I'm here in Wayne County and then you're there in Wake County and uh, you know, broadband connectivity is key to economic development period. And so- well, to, oh, I'm going to, I was gonna say North Carolina has always been a little ahead of the game with the broadband. And uh, we've got a very taxing situation because the state's geographic situation doesn't really favor doing that, but <laughs> no, it, it is also so important. It is, it's, you know, um, in January, I, I spent a lot of time in Hyde County. Uh, I'm, I'm an avid duck hunter, and so I like to go there and, and, and enjoy duck season. And, uh, you know, there's, there's rural parts of that county that struggle for Internet uh, capabilities. And uh, then uh, you go out in the mountains to my friend Carl Gillespie's area, where he's actually closer to five other capitals than the one he serves in in Raleigh. Um, they, they, they have the same struggles. But I, our, our challenge has been how can we get broadband connectivity, not just to all counties, but all corners of the state. And, and we've put a little over a billion dollar investment in the last budget into doing that. And we're well on our way to, to hopefully one day we can say that we have broadband connectivity um, from from the mountains to the coast and everywhere in between. But but those are, are, are really big emphasis that we have put in the last couple of years to help our rural areas succeed. We've seen success in those areas because of those efforts. Uh, also working with our friends at the Department of Transportation to invest in, in, in our highway infrastructure to make sure that uh, truck traffic, commuter traffic, commercial traffic can get in and out of these facilities and then not have to, 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 to go down a lot of winding roads that, that could be challenging for uh, our 18-wheelers our and uh, commercial vehicles. But, you know, it, it, it is an issue. Uh, starting January the 1st, 2023, actually became the first time in our state's history that the majority of representation in our General Assembly comes from urban North Carolina, not rural North Carolina. And so when you look at the issues that rural North Carolina face, uh, not only do we have water and sewer infrastructure, we have connectivity, we have broadband connectivity issues, but now we're at a deficit of legislators that represent those areas. Most of those districts are now larger. Uh, they're, they, I think um, uh, we've, we've got some members that represent uh, in the northeastern part of the state, represent somewhere around eight to 11 counties. And so and that's a large area to cover, more like a congressional district than it is a House or a Senate district. So, so we have our challenges, but um, but you know we'll, we'll continue to, to move along because we know that uh, North rural North Carolina uh, needs to be as prosperous as urban North Carolina. Well, it, uh, the interesting thing about broadband it touches so many different areas. It, it allows extended medical help, uh, education, as well as business. But it's also important to agriculture. It is it is amazing the technology advancements in agriculture today. Uh, you know, I remember growing up and and I, I worked on the farm and we got on, on the tractor and, and you drove and you you tried to get the rows as straight as you possibly could and uh, I was never really good at that. They're always crooked, but, but but I tried my best. But now you get into a tractor and it's got a GPS system and you punch in the buttons and it basically drives it yourself. Uh, then also you, know, you look at all the advancements that come in to, to crop science where 
uh, used to, uh, you know, you, you had a farm that would feed a, a, a small group of people, and now you've got uh, uh, large farms that are feeding the world. So uh, that's part of the, the research and, and ingenuity that's going on at the University of Mount Olive and at NC State and North Carolina A&T. And, uh, and so the advancements and the technology advancements there have actually been pretty incredible over the last five to six years. Well, when people think of broadband, I think they, pers- they they first thought is personal computers. And that, of course, is a big thing of communicating between individuals. But it does help in the medical field, education and business and agriculture as well. Our guest is Representative John Bell. He's the House Majority Leader of the state of North Carolina. And uh, we will have another segment. We want to talk a little bit about sports betting, the inflation and the the R word recession. And we'll do that when we come back with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. 